Welcome to Linked Up, Breaking Boundaries in Education, a podcast that focuses on what is happening in education today, connecting everyone to the movers and shakers that are breaking boundaries in the education arena. Welcome to Linked Up, Breaking Boundaries in Education. This is Jamie Sapanero with Jerry Kimball, and today we're talking about the culture of a school and how it can really transform learning. Um, it's not easily achieved to get to that situation where, but it really takes the involvement of the whole school community. Um, sometimes you can walk in a building and you can kind of sense that. Have you ever sensed that before, Jerry? Oh my goodness, yes. As you visit buildings, the minute you walk in the door, you get a sense of what that school is all about. And there's some that I couldn't wait to get back in and others I just didn't want to get out of the car. <laughs> Right, right. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. Well, today we have with us Hans Apple. And you know, the thing I think I love about you most, Hans, is that you are the counselor. And it just goes to show that that leadership comes in all places in a school. And I love the fact that the school counselor has written the book and is kind of uh, taking on this charge because... Uh, If the pandemic hasn't taught us anything, it has taught us that character really does count. It's that perseverance, that willingness to change. Um, Those are the skills our kids are going to need. And so we're thrilled to have you here with us today. Hans is an author. You can see his book in the background, Award-Winning Culture. And he He's here to talk to us about how you built that culture. But before we get started, Hans, I know there's a little bit of a backstory about your history and how you came to really believe in school culture and developing character when maybe other people were focused more on academics. Can you give us a little bit of your background and what brought you here? Yeah, and I, uh, this is awesome. Thank you so much for the introduction and to be a part of uh this, uh, this podcast is, is just amazing. So yeah, first off, uh, people always ask about, you know, my role or what I do. And I think my why really informs what I do. So I believe that education at its highest level is about inspiring others to discover Mm -hmm. and develop their joy. And, you know, growing up, I was your classic aces Mm -hmm. kid, right? Child of divorce, abusive home, health issues. So Mm -hmm. I always tell people, I could predict what kind of evening it was going to be with my dad based on how the back door slammed. There was a certain noise, right? A certain frequency. Survivors know exactly what I'm talking about. We're often able to take the temperature of the room, able to predict other people's behavior from subtle indiscriminate signs that most people might completely overlook. So I knew when my dad got home each night, how the evening was going to go based on how he walked through that door. And so at an early point for me, school really became my safe haven, right? It was my place I could go. I could be age appropriate. I didn't have to worry about solving complicated adult emotional issues. I could just be a kid. And so I think at an early, early point, uh, big ideas like kindness and empathy and school culture really became foundational to me. Now, I guess the interesting part about my story is I met my wife, Jennifer, who is a fourth generation educator. And so we met at the tail end of high school. We went away to college together. And I think being surrounded in this, you know, uh, amazing family where 
it felt like an educator conference, every, you know, <laughs> family reunion or whatever. It was yeah. just, everybody's story was about school. And so as I'm trying to figure out who am I, where do I fit in the world? What do I want to use my influence for? I think I just fell in love with the idea of working uh, with kids. And so for the last 20 years, I've been a middle school counselor entirely at the middle school level. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's fun because they're crazy. They're smelly. They're, you uh-huh. know, like little kids and grown up adults all in the uh-huh. same hour, right? You never know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot of fun. In addition to that, now I've had the opportunity, obviously, to write a book, which we'll talk about. Um, and I'm the director of culture for the Teach Better team, which is an organization that really supports teachers all around the world now. Wonderful. But I guess the interesting, you know, lead up to writing the book really started probably 10 years ago we had what I would call a very reactive culture at the time. We were literally just sort of putting out fires. And there was one spring where we had had kind of a number of situations where there had been a fight or an altercation or, you know, something had happened and it was, you know, principals and counselors that were there cleaning up the mess later, right? After the fact. And we had this one situation in a science classroom where one student basically assaulted another student and it was scary. And, and, you know, he, the student had to be restrained and it was, you know, uh, it was really awful. So the, the, the principals and, and counselors were brought in basically to kind of deal with the aftermath. Right. And so you're imagining this classroom full of kids that are traumatized, this teacher that's traumatized and, you know, all, all of the worst things happen, right? The kid was suspended and eventually expelled. Um, it was just an ugly thing. And, and so I spent the rest of that spring sitting in meetings, trying to convince people that our school could be safe. And so the amount of reflection, the amount of, you know, shame and guilt about uh, our school not being what it could be was overwhelming right? Trying to find words to comfort people and, and put people at ease and, and, and really believe that we were doing what's best uh, was a lot. It, w- it was a really, really hard spring. But there was a couple things that I kind of realized in that time period. Number one, this wasn't a brand new teacher, right? This wasn't a situation where the teacher didn't have classroom management and didn't know what was happening. And, you know, this was one of our veteran teachers that was really good. I think the other uh, you know, point would be that this wasn't two students that hated each other and finally had had enough. These were actually students that were best friends. Mm-hmm. And so despite all of that, you know, the one student obviously didn't have the ability to regulate emotions. And so you know, arguing about a project led to this really horrible uh, assault. And I think the last thing probably is what I've hung on to the hardest um, you know, since that that uh, situation is despite all of the the feelings that I had surrounding, uh, you know, guilt and just like, I didn't do enough to like support this student and, you know, teaching social emotional learning and character ed and all this, this couldn't just be one person's job. Like, Mm, like the the, the fate Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, uh, all of what was resting as far as our community's mental health, right? Which is our youth. It could not rest just on one individual. And so that was kind of the point where we sort of pivoted as a school and and me certainly as a counselor 
and went, you know, this has to become a school-wide thing. This has to become everybody buying in to an idea of infusing social emotional learning and character ed into everything that we do. Mm-hmm. So it can't just be on the school council, right? It's got to be the bus driver and the librarian and the custodian and the principal and the teachers and the parents and, you know, our grocery store manager next door and everybody has to be a part of it. And so that really prompted us to what I would say become uh, proactive, where we started implementing curriculum and we started really kind of teaching to these specific topics. Now, I would say it was, you know, multiple years later before we really got to a point of, of then taking it to the next level, which is what I write about in the book. And that's how do we now get intentional with these things? Yes. And Hans, I have to really applaud your school for saying we need help because so many times Mm -hmm. I think we have so much pressure from the public to be perfect. And so (laughs) administrators and educators don't want to admit that we need any help. And so, you know, taking that time to admit that and have those meetings and it doesn't happen overnight, does it? No, no, that's a, that's a (laughs) great point. And, you know, I, one of the things that I always tell schools when we work with schools to kind of work, uh, you know, help implement this work is uh, that one of the key steps is time. And, and one of the things I always talk about is, you know, we, we think in terms of implementation, you know, maybe a curriculum or whatever we're doing, you know, these adoptions. And we think of like year one, year two, year three, I always tell school leaders, you need to think in terms of year zero, right? We need to think in terms of what happens the year before we really start this implementation process. Absolutely. I I think you're right. I think it, it definitely takes time. Yes. And then um, it also, you have to get that buy-in from all of the stakeholders. So the teachers, that probably took some time, didn't it, to get them to buy in or were they ready? Yeah, I think it it was in different phases. I think, um, I think people knew it was time for change, right? Like, uh, you know, I think there's a, there's a feeling that things weren't um, the way that they could be or should be. I think, I think it's a whole nother step to then go, okay, I want to be part of the solution, right? It's, it's much easier to say, yeah, we have a problem here. Now somebody needs to fix it than to say, oh, I'm going to be the one to help fix this. And, and really, I think what I talk about in the book is how do we get the entire community to buy into that idea, right? Where it's not just one or two or five individuals. Yeah. And, and then when you talk about community, there's the parents, Um, was that a hard sell? Well, yeah, I I would say initially it definitely wasn't a hard sell that we needed to do some huge pivot. Right. Um, but yeah, I I think, I think the buy-in with, with parents, uh, it's not probably, I don't know if it's as big as a lot of school leaders think it is. I think the importance is, is huge, but I think the hurdle isn't that large. I, I think if you were to ask most parents, academics probably come second. You know, most parents want to raise really great kids, bottom line. Like they want them to be good humans. They want them to be good citizens. Like most, most parents don't really care that much, you know, what they decide to do with their life as long as they're productive, healthy, happy individuals. Right. And so I, I think, you know, the sell of, you know, supporting the whole learner or, you know, infusing SEL character kinds of work, I think it's pretty easy with parents. 
Right. I always find that teachers are so mired in everything that they have to do that it's hard for them to sometimes see that big picture and the the parents kind of see that big picture and teachers in their defense, they have so much (laughs) that they are responsible for. So I understand how they, they feel that way, but really the research that we've seen through the pandemic parents are really saying that social emotional character is really what we want for our kids, which, which is great. Yeah. You know, and I think your point about it really being about the entire school community is so important um, because it, it can't be just the counselor. It can't be just a handful of teachers or administration. It really has to have the involvement of the parents of um, the school resource officers, the everyone, the custodians. I mean, it really does come to everyone being involved. And I know that when you have schools reflect, you you ask them, does your school culture have the power to evoke tears of joy? I've been in a building before where it does bring about those tears of joy, but it did take a transformation just as you have described with everyone being involved. Um, what is the big, biggest trick for that? I mean, time is certainly a factor. Um, having the character education, not just coming out from uh, peer leadership groups and um, little um, here and there uh, isolated, right, uh, activities, but instead really embedding it into the curriculum. How do you go about doing that? What is your advice to schools to help that transformation? Yeah. And I, and I will say, you know, you brought up the tears of joy. That's actually uh, originated from a story, which maybe I'll share at the end of the podcast if we have time. So I'll, I'll, I'll tease that for later. Um, but you're right. You can definitely feel it right away when you walk into a building. You know, I, I think the research tells us that if we only focus on academics, we're only giving students 30 to 50% of what they need to be mm-hmm. successful after high school. Mm-hmm. Right. So that means that wow. if we do everything you know, right. If they pass all the tests, all, hit all the standards, they do that for the entire time, all of their years in school, we failed them. Like that's it. That just let that marinate yeah. with you for a second. Like <laughs> yeah. we've failed them. If they, if we do everything perfectly right, as far as academics only. Right. Okay. So the work is huge. Um, so in my book, I basically break down, um, you know, in, the, the three big points being character, excellence, and community. So character being, you know, will you do the right thing? Excellence be, being, will you do your very best? And community being, what will you do for others today? Mm-hmm. So these really have become our house rules, right? These are the things that drive everything else that we do in our school. Um, and when I say everything else, I mean, like it, it shows up in, hiring practices, right? Like when we do interviews for new staff, Mm -hmm. it shows up in our morning announcements. It shows up in parent teacher conferences. It shows up, um, you know, in projects that we take on uh, in the classroom level, like every little like facet in in our building kind of works and kind of funnels through those three questions. So Hans, how does it show up in a parent teacher conference? So, yeah, I mean, like when you have, you know, basically, uh, mom and, and dad sitting here and, and the teacher starts going through things rather than just zeroing in and focusing on, okay, let's have a conversation about a grade or a particular test. We filter everything through those three questions. So in other words, like 
what are, what are the evidence that I've seen your kid doing the right thing? What are, what are the evidence that I've seen, you know, your uh, child, uh, you know, do their very best in my math class? You know, how has your child, um, you know, been able to take care and support uh, the entire learning community, right? And so those three things, I mean, certainly do we talk grades? Do we talk, you know, assessment? All those kinds of things come up, but we do it within that framework. And so it really, it makes those conversations so much more meaningful. Oh, absolutely. Because we really, by the time they hit middle school, parents are kind of done with the conference. Because yes. have heard right. that so many times, but this would be interesting to hear how my student or how my child's doing the right thing and helping build community. I, I would think that would help bring more parents in. And honestly, that's what they, they want that more, right? With, with all the, the online supports, right? they already know what the grade is. They already know like, you know, what the numbers say, but they want to know, they want the, I think parents show up to those kinds of experiences because they want the anecdotal. They want to hear a story about their kid. They want to know like, is my kid heading the right direction? Right. You're so right. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And it's, it's not so much about how is my student doing, but how is my child doing? And what is their path to becoming a really good human? That's mm -hmm. what it's all about. And that's what those three core um, guidelines that you are bedding into your culture is really about. And it, it really makes a big difference. And it's infused. And I think that's the difference here because it's nothing in isolation. It is infused into your daily practice and everything in the content that is delivered, I'm sure, uh, as you mentioned, parent conferences um, with probably the minute you walk in the building and even interviewing before they get into the building, for sure. Oh, and understanding that this isn't just one more thing on their plate. This is really where everything evolves from. Absolutely. Yeah. My, my friend, John Norlin, I don't know if you guys know him. He works uh, with Character Strong. He's got a saying um, that, you know, he says this, this can't be just another thing on the plate. You know, we have to help people understand that this is the plate, right? right. And this is the foundation for everything else. So I totally agree with you. Yeah. yeah. You put a scoop of math on that plate <laughs> of, of everything else, but yeah, it is the foundation. You bet. So how has COVID and remote learning impacted your work and can teachers still proceed with this during this remote learning time or what have you seen? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great, great question. So like pre pandemic, you know, the average student today has as much anxiety as the average psychiatric patient of the 1950s. Oh right? my goodness. So that means most kids that were walking around our campuses would have been hospitalized yeah. for how they're feeling on the inside. That's pre pandemic, right? Oh my since, gosh. since COVID, huge study came out this summer and basically found exactly what you might think, right? Anxiety up, depression up, suicide risk up, uh, access to mental health services way down. Um, so we know that this is like front and center. Right. Now the, in, the interesting thing though is, I, I don't know how you guys were, when this first hit for me, I only imagined that it was going to have negative impact on social emotional learning. The reality though is th there's kind of two sides to this coin. There are the kids that have absolutely struggled with remote learning, right? And, and they are thrilled to be back, 
we're back in person now in our district and they love it, right? This is, this is everything to them. There's the other kids though, that really thrived during remote learning. And so there's lessons to be learned here, I think for educators about what's working for that group, right? Mm -hmm. Because now that we're back, we're having to try to still fit some of those uh, remote pieces in to support what was so successful for that group of students. Right. So I really think it's, it's almost twofold. Um, but back to your, your original question of, you know, can this, this work be replicated in a virtual setting? Absolutely. Um, you know, one company that we work with is uh, PBS Rewards. They do like positive behavior kinds of, uh, you know, incentive type things. One of the things that they've expanded on their app now is an SEL check-in where mm -hmm. teachers can, you know, actually, you know, give students a daily, um, you know, kind of emotional temperature check as to how they're doing. And the, the really cool part about the technology now, there's a lot of folks that have been doing some version of that, but PBS Rewards has taken it to another level where now they can match virtual um, interventions and supports that might, you know, aid that kid mm -hmm. in real time. So, so, you know, let's say that Jerry is the teacher, I'm the student, I fill out, you know, a two minute, you know, check in and, and say, man, it's a, it's a one for me today, Jerry, I'm, I'm not having a good day. Mm -hmm. I can now on my device, get instantaneous things that might be tailored to me, right? So maybe I need, um, you know, some sort of anger management, cool down space, maybe I need, you know, some breathing techniques, maybe I need you know, a virtual reflection room, right? So it, it, we have the, the ability now, even in a virtual remote setting to be able to, you know, offer and deliver these real time social emotional learning strategies to kids. So I, I think the, it's exciting to me, right? I, I think it's easy to, to get lost in the negativity of COVID and, and what all this has been, but I really think this is a time for education to pivot. And I just have to say that really does work because people say, oh, really, can you give them some strategies virtually and does that work? Because last week I heard that my bank account had been hacked mm. and I was a little panicked, right? And I had a friend that sent me some breathing techniques and it just calmed me down. I, I couldn't believe it. And I thought, thank goodness for this friend that said, Hey, let's take a minute here, Jerry, you're okay. It's going to be fine. And so those things do work and you do appreciate when someone steps in and can say, this is what you need right now. And let's just breathe. So, well, and I'll follow up to that. I would say, you know, the one, the, the one thing with students that I see where it doesn't, it's not as successful or doesn't work is if it's not part of kind of everything else, right? If it just feels like this standalone thing, like, okay, I'm going to teach you how to breathe today. And then we're not going to use that ever right. again. Right. Then it, then it's just right. phony. Right. And, and at elementary, elementary might do it for a little while. And then that sort of tailors off, but by middle school, high school, they're like, no, that's dumb. Right. So I think, you know, when we talk about these strategies, right. Specifically, it has to be something that teachers are actually like modeling and practicing on a daily basis. Like it can't be this standalone Friday thing. Let's never touch it again. Right. And so I think that that's huge for kids. Yes. Within context. I think that's why it worked for me. I was panicked. 
<laughs> I needed it at the moment. So yeah, I think I'm with you totally. So it's so important that authenticity is really the key and making sure that it is embedded, not just like uh, a quick morning meeting sort of thing, but something that is embedded throughout the day and part of every day learning. Um, you talk about in your book, the uh, experiential uh, problem-based mm. um events that kids can be a part of so that they feel valued, they feel empowered. Um, I know you lead a student, well, facilitate a student um, leadership podcast. Is that one example? What are some others? That sounds fantastic. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you the backstory on that because that's a, it's really fun. Uh, so a few years ago, my wife, who's the leadership teacher at our school, and I took a handful of students, um, maybe three or four hours across the mountains, right, to a statewide leadership conference. And it's a really cool event. They put it on each year. There's probably five or 6,000 kids from all over our state. And they bring in speakers and athletes and, you know, authors and all kinds of just really amazing people. And it's just a day of inspiration, right? And so you get these amazing leadership kids all fired up and then go back and do great things in their school. So we're sitting there and it's maybe three quarters of the way through um, this, you know, event. And we're listening to a 95 year old Holocaust survivor named Nomi Bond. And she's, you know, speaking in broken English, right? She's uh, in a wheelchair. She's up on stage and like you could literally hear a pin drop with like five or 6,000 students. Like you have, you know, students sitting forward, like jaws dropped, like there's, you know, educators around me that are in tears, right? You're hearing this emotionally moving story. And I kind of lean over to my wife who's sitting on my right. And I'm like, we've got to do this. You know, and she gives me that look, like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, <laughs> that, that husband wife thing, right? Yeah. And I'm like, we've got to do something like this. And so at the next break, we started talking about, well, what if we found a way to surround our kids with people like her, right? And people like him and people like, you know, that person, because the reality is we took a handful of students, not that many over, you know, across the mountains, but there was another 800 back at school that weren't able to experience this. And so slowly the idea became, well, maybe we, what we could do is create a platform where some of our students can have these kinds of conversations with amazing, you know, inspiring people and then share that. Right. And so that was the early seeds. Um, what, what it became is far uh, exceeded my expectations. It's now it's, it's a student led leadership podcast where, you know, they bring in professional athletes or authors or uh, speakers or whatever. They've even had other leadership students from, you know, around the world on, and they have these like really in-depth conversations, right? That, where they, they ask really intentional questions. Um, maybe it's all a podcast all about anxiety, or maybe it's about uh, self-harm, or maybe it's about, you know, technology or parenting or school culture. Really, it could be just about anything. And then at the end, after the interview, the students do what we call a debrief, which is basically like a reflection, right? Where they kind of share what they learned and, and how they connect to, you know, some of the things that were discussed. And then we share these out. Right. And, and so 
it's been amazing to watch how, you know, this is obviously just one example of experiential learning, but, but one, one way that you can literally impact your whole community, um, in a positive way, um, you know, just by, you know, focusing on some big ideas that, that relate to school culture. And I suspect they took ownership of the learning and that's why they have amazed you. Oh, it's incredible. Like your expectations when they take on, Oh, you have, you have no idea. Like they've had, they've had so many amazing opportunities. Like they've been, you know, guest appearances on other people's shows, right? Like they've been recognized by a state superintendent. They actually did a presentation to a group of curriculum directors uh, in the Midwest. They had to get to school at 6 a.m. and they did a full hour presentation, not me, not my wife, the kids. And basically what they had learned, how they put it together, how that, you know, all the ins and outs of doing one of these podcasts, like it's amazing. (laughs) It's like really amazing to watch kids, you know, own their own learning. Right. 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 And they take it beyond anything we could have dreamed of. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's basically like, here are the tools and then you kind of just like step back and just watch it flourish. I mean, it's quite impressive. And so I, I, guess you have a lot of these types of uh, projects that go on so that way they are still being able to account for each of the different foundational um, leads that you have in your school so that way they are really able to embed it's embedded right? And not in isolation. It's project-based. It's, it's providing for the community um, and allowing them to grow in different ways because it's theirs. There's ownership that way. Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating because, you know, you, you, like I've heard from parents that say, you know, I can't get my own kid to open up to me, but I'll listen to this podcast because now I can understand, you know, the way a 12, 13, 14 year old thinks about, you know, social media or, you know, when's the best you know, time and place to be able to talk to my kid. Um, you know, I mean, just like little things like that, where it's like, okay, now there's other people that are, that are really having this, you know, learning experience, um, far beyond what we originally envisioned. It's just so, so cool. What is the name of the podcast? So it's called award-winning culture. Yep. Hosted oh, okay. by wildcat nation. So, Oh, yeah. perfect. All right. Good. Yeah. Yep. We're going to listen so- in. Hans, I have a, um, a question for you to kind of land this plane, if you will. <laughs> I had a mentor one time that would always ask me this, and I loved this question. What has become clear through all of this work? What has become clear to you? A wonderful question. I would say the thing that has become the most clear is how important this work is. And I, when you, when you ask that question, I'm kind of thinking like really present tense, like currently, like I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a school counselor. I've known this work matters forever, (laughs) but I feel like the world now has caught up and like really understands that, um, we have to be supporting the whole learner. Right. And, and I think this is, this has become my, my experience in, in working with districts, uh, especially in the last year or so, has, well, 10 months maybe, 
has, has been that people really get that now. So I yeah. feel like there used to be a lot of, uh, you know, work about really understanding the why right. I think people mm-hmm. now, I think they get the why, like I hope. Right. right? But I, I, I think what's become clear is now it's time to go beyond that. Now, mm-hmm. now people are reaching out to my wife and I going, okay, I'm on board. Now what, what's the first step? What do I, where do I go from here? Right. And that's exciting to me because now we can do the real work. You bet. It's, it's one of those silver linings that we talk about that's coming out of the pandemic. You know, things, there's mm-hmm. clarity in what our priorities need to be. And this is absolutely one of them. So schools that have already been through the process and doing it, they probably feel like this is a good thing. We're in this place. And then others are realizing we have work to do. There has been this time of reflection and there's work to do. So, um, you know, it's fantastic that they're able to see that and, uh, you know, moving forward with what needs to happen with the award-winning culture. Hans, does your book kind of help schools get started with this? Could they use it as a framework to get started or? Yeah, a thousand percent. I appreciate you saying that. Um, So the book really is a school-wide framework um, and it breaks down basically how we went from being a school Mm. of fistfights to winning all kinds of awards um, for our school culture now. So it really, I think, you know, hopefully articulates uh, how school leaders can can really create this work. The really cool thing, which I'll tease to you guys, is my wife, Jennifer, is writing the sequel to this book, and that should be out late this spring, and it's entirely geared towards the classroom, right? So it's, okay, how do we take this big picture idea, and how do we actually do that in our, in a, our own, like, teacher space, so I'm really excited about that. She's, she's got some really, I, I can't say too much about it, but it, it's, pretty, it's pretty special as far as um, really moving way beyond just curriculum and, and thinking in terms of, uh, yeah, how do, we, how do we infuse this into everything that happens within the classroom? Yeah. So that's well, going to be really cool. You are a special team. My goodness. <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. That's great. So as we finish out here today, how can people find you, find your book? Are you on social media? I see it on your back wall. Tell us, how do we get in touch with you? Yeah. So the best place uh, probably to get us would be on our website, which is awardwinningculture.com. So really simple. We have a podcast as well of our own. um, That's all about school culture called award-winning culture. And, um, and then all of our speaking information and coaching, we have courses on there. Um, so we would love to have, you know, people checking that stuff out. The other great way to connect with me would be on Twitter or Instagram. And my handle is Hans N Apple and you spell Apple weird. It's A-P-P-E-L. Um, but I love, I love uh, connecting with people. Growing my PLN has been huge um, to my own uh, development and growth. So uh, yeah, I love, love connecting with people on Twitter and Instagram for sure. And I want to, um, purchase the book today for my daughter. That's a school counselor. Where do I go? Yeah. So, um, you can get the book on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. I think it's at target too. Um, and then it's also on our website. If you want to get an autographed copy. (laughs) 
Oh, well, of course. That's what we want. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. This has been so eye-opening. And I love the way that you are modeling for other yeah. schools and you have put it into a book that they can read and and use as a framework. They can't copy and replicate everything you've done, but they can sure take that framework and make it work for their culture as well. Appreciate the work that you're doing for kids. And, you know, you have to be a special person. I think, Jamie, you and I were both middle school. Right. People. Oh, so, yeah. You know, these are our peeps. We're, we're just yes. a little different than your normal person, right? <laughs> it, is it is the truth. Yeah, we really do appreciate your work. This is really exciting. And um, I, I think your book sounds like the perfect framework for people to get started. It's a, It sounds like everything is set in stone as a perfect framework for launching forward. And this is the time to do it for sure. Absolutely. Thank you for your dedication and your service that you're giving and sharing with others. Thank you for listening. And if you would like to stay linked up, be sure to follow us on Apple and Spotify and subscribe to us on YouTube.